and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director, Richard Jones, now with more to come. Also, bookings are now open for the Motormouth Charity Karting event with places for the day now on general sale. Enter your team of four to an endurance race and compete with and against a host of motorsport celebs or pro drivers who will be drawn at random to be on your team. Gates open at 12.30 and close at 6pm. For all the information and to see who you could be up against, head to motormouthkartrace.com. We'll see you there and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour. Without you and our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do, which is bringing you the biggest names in motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions. This season, we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with Devante Tyler. What drives you? The pursuit of excellence never ends. You can now enjoy the thrill of the chase with Pro Tour Sport from Devante Tires. Featuring the latest innovations in tyre technology, including intelligent water management and precision-engineered interlocking tread blocks, Pro Tour Sport has been designed from the ground up to enhance every aspect of your driving experience. Independently tested at Europe's toughest proving grounds by the most respected names in tyre research, Pro Tour Sport is at one with the driver. Ask your Devante dealer about Pro Tour Sport today. Discover Pro Tour Sports at devante-tires.com slash Pro Tour Sport. Welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Now, today's guest has some impressive heritage. His dad was Rick Parfit Sr. from Status Quo. And did you know that they were not always called Status Quo? The band was originally the Scorpions when they formed in 1962. A year later, they changed to the Spectres, then Traffic Jam in 67, before finally renaming themselves the Status Quo, before dropping the the in 69 to become status quo for the 70s. Did you know that, Harry Benjamin? I didn't know any of that, actually. Uh, so it's it's a great lesson for me. So I feel like we're in store for a sort of music slash racing lesson um, <laughs> for, for this episode, which I'm quite excited about. I am you know, as well. That actually also um, apparently wasn't like a cerebral decision. Apparently they just saw it in a shoe. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> He's piping up. I haven't even introduced him yet. You can't, you can't, you can't shut Rick Parfit Jr. up. Honestly, Shush. forget about. I don't need to say anything. It's all the usual. Hair's growing out too long. I haven't done anything interesting. We'll skip that part. Let's move straight on. <laughs> Shall I introduce today's guest? Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think you know who he is. So today's guest has to be one of the most diverse people we've had on the show. Not only is he a bona fide rock and roller, having played alongside the likes of Eric Clapton, Robert Plant, Brian Ferry, and Spando Bally, but Spando Bally, Spando Bally, Spando, Spando, Spandel, Spando Bally. Are you okay this morning? Why can't I say it? Spando Bally, Spando Bally, Spando Ballet. Spandau Ballet. I can't He's a British GT champion and he's only gone and landed himself a seat in the British Touring Car Championship alongside the great and good of British motorsport for 2021. We're delighted to have him here. Rick Parfit Jr., welcome eventually to the Motormouth Podcast. <laughs> How you Rick, doing? I, I'd just like to apologise for Tim uh, and his amateurish behaviour. Had too much coffee. It's honestly, been shocking. I've Absolutely. Spandau shocking. Ballet. Yeah. Sp- yeah. Spandau, <laughs> Spandau Ballet. I can't. I, I can't say those that words. Is 
Spandau Beer. Spandau Beer. <laughs> so weird. Oh, Rick. Yeah. How yeah, how are you? Let, let's let's take it way back. Now, okay. you you can't have had a very standard upbringing, I'd imagine. You're born into a rock and roll family. How do you look back and on those days and and remember your your very early years at home with uh, with your with your dad? Blimey. Um, well, it was. Uh, I've always said this, right? Um, that having a rock star as a father or someone in prominent is usually a two-edged sword. You know, like you know, you get a lot of cool stuff that goes with it, but there's a lot of bad stuff that goes with it as well. And and of course, my dad was every inch the rock star. And in those days as well, you know, there was no social media and everything else. You know, rock stars were proper rock stars. You know, I honestly think the, the musicians of today. Um, uh, in a good way, probably, you know, have, have learned from the mistakes of, <laughs> of everyone in the past. And so he was he was every inch the um, the rock star. And so, but with that obviously comes all the bad stuff, the drinking and the drugs and the, the women and everything else that goes with it. So, you know, a, a slightly chaotic upbringing, some might say. Um, and, uh, you know, but, and the whole juxtaposition of obviously my dad's come from, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, playing working men's clubs and from like a council estate in Woking, you know, from Shearwater. So we came from very originally the East End of London. And so he was a proper Cockney and rhyming slang and all that sort of stuff. And, and of course, he sends me off to boarding school at the age of six. So I come home going, hello, daddy. <laughs> Sorry, he's great. You know? And, um, and uh, he's like, all right. And so, you know, parents day at school was usually quite funny, you know, when all, when all the uh, sort of, uh, Sort of posho parents were there and then my dad would sort of rock up probably battered you know so <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it was it, interesting to say the least well with, with you as you say off at boarding school were, were you around a lot were you, were you around much of the music were you influenced by it growing up you know was it a first love or were you a bit removed from it actually well it, it's interesting you say this because this ties in quite well my first ever word was car <laughs> so uh. Genuinely. Um, and um, so I was always obsessed. This was a great thing. Obviously, Dad had amazing cars, you know, and um, he was always a massive Porsche fan, as everyone knows. And um, he, he had loads of them, crashed pretty much every single one as well. And um, but his 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 moniker was that, you know, I'm, he always maintained he was a better driver than me because he'd never actually crashed a car while sober. <laughs> Fair. So, I don't know how that works out, but, you know, that was his that was his claim. Um, but yes, yeah, so. Music and music, obviously, I loved as well. I mean, we, that was the good thing about when I was younger. We had a house, which was um, uh, we had a, a sort of a, a studio in the house, like a live-in studio. So we'd I'd come home at weekends, and you know, Marillion would be recording, or Level Forty Two would be recording, or you know, with various people all the time just yeah. coming in and out of the house. And my mom is a is a, a mega cook, so everyone loved coming. So she'd like just cook all this food and stuff like that so yeah it was it was definitely kind of cool just to wander in of course i'm oblivious i'd always just wander in and say does anyone want to come out and play some football yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. pottering into your kitchen Um, and there's there's eric clapton standing there having a a cup of tea yeah Um, so 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 how on earth do you do you go from that and and find yourself in in motorsport where did that passion come from do you remember that being a thing when you were younger outside of your dad's love of porsche and so on yeah, yeah. I mean, we we always used to, we'd always go out for a drive, him and me. And, and apparently, you know, I'd sort of say, uh, "Take over him, Dad. Take over him, Dad." Is what apparently I would keep saying. And so I'd sort of lift myself up above the window, and go <laughs> like that as we overtook people. And um, he was, and 
Okay, let's let's go clangy for a second. Okay, so Dad was very good mates with Roger Taylor from Queen, who lived down the road from us in Surrey, and um, Roger had a go kart and a little figure of eight go kart track down in the lower field, his house. And I literally, I remember one day I went over there and I, he just put me on this go kart and I just left me, and I was there just going round and round and round and round until. I couldn't reach the brakes, so nothing's changed. And, um, uh, you know, and I just, just kept on going until the petrol ran out. And then I think pretty much cried that he wouldn't put any more petrol in it because <laughs> I would have just kept going until, you know. So that kind of started up, and I guess that's where the whole sort of love started. And then, you know, years later, I would spend all my pocket money going indoor karting until I got banned because I kept on winning at this place called Spitfire Karting in Felton, and people would turn up and go, well, if he's racing, we're not we're not racing anymore. So they were starting to lose revenue. <laughs> so you know, because I'd be there every weekend and just and I had I think over a hundred trophies from this place. And they just went, look, sorry, you just can't do this anymore. You know, yeah. so which was great. And um, and then I got asked to join their outdoor team. And so I went and I was quicker than them. And then I started my own team and then I got spotted and I was a, a factory driver for Biz Cars for seven years. Not a lot of people know really. Wow. That, I mean that's such. I think it's one of the most unique stories. I think that we, you know, all, all the racing drivers we have on here. It's a very typical route, you know, karting from the age of four, and they make their way up, and then eventually, you know, do they go off on tin tops or, or single seaters? Obviously, it wasn't quite like that for you. But were you were you watching motorsport as well, or were you just simply there for driving driving the thing? No, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've I, I've always loved motorsport. I mean, Formula One was just a staple in our house, you know. Mm. And we're from Woking, you know, originally my family's from Woking. Yeah, so McLaren, yeah. we, uh, my dad went to school, weirdly enough, with Ron Dennis. Can you believe <laughs> oh, that? Oh, wow. You know? So, yeah, they went to the same school. And um, so there was that sort of uh, knowing, we always had a, a strange link to McLaren, I guess. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd drive down when they had, they were in like this row of, oh, gosh, what, what could best be described as sort of huts, I guess, in those days, you know, like the sort of the World War II type of sort of, you know, prefab sort of stuff and they'd roll the cars out and we'd always go and sort of drive down and go and see them rolling them out to well to try and catch a glimpse of them anyway yeah and um it was it was kind of funny um because you know i, I went back I, I nearly nearly had a drive in a mclaren um in 2019 i believe and um uh you know, I went down there and, and was walked around MTC and stuff like that. And then we went to their other workshop. And their other workshop is on the Shearwater Estate. So when you come out the back door, you can see my my grandmother's house. Wow. And I was going, I said, I'm just having a real moment here, you know, because that's where I used to play as a kid, just over there. You know, I could see, you know, the, the, the bit of grass that I used to, you know, just like ride my bike around on and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've always got a really close fascination with with f1 and and particularly obviously mclaren and um mm. and it's it's funny how it comes full circle yeah. that we actually played that big christmas do in uh yeah 2019 as well before obviously the pandemic hit amazing and so, um and zach zach was very nice to me he said rick rick your your home is at mclaren your home is mclaren <laughs> so yeah so i've definitely got some so yeah it was always on we're mm. always massive fans you know i think there's a really good documentary of when dad and roger actually went to monaco and um, they were trying to do a serious documentary and they're both absolutely hammered, you know, and uh, and the conversation could best be described as sort of stilted, you know, and these two, like, people just joking with each other. They're not getting any decent content out of it whatsoever. It's just, just hilarious. So, 
Yeah, there you go. Oh, amazing. <laughs> there's, there's no other way to be in Monaco, I don't think, if no, you're going to no. go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're going to go to Monaco and you happen to be a rock star, it's, it's, you're going to have yeah. a nice time, aren't you? Uh, yeah, so, 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 yeah. so before you started your British GT career, um, wh- where, what was the gap there? Was there a gap or was it literally carts, British GT? Or what, what, what was in between? No, I mean, a lot. You know, I, I stopped racing carts in about 2004. And then, you know, like with anyone, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, I didn't have money to go into cars. You know, it was all of that was an absolute unachievable dream. You know, it was wonderful to be part. And I was working, you know, for Autosport magazine um, and Motorsport News. And I was selling ads. You know, that was my job, you know. And um, I was with Haymarket for 12 years. So I... I literally before I went, I'm off to I'm off to be a, a rock star, and they were like, "Of course you are, mate. See yeah. in six months, you yeah. know." And um, <laughs> luckily, it worked out, thank Christ, you know, because I fully believed I would have been back. And uh, but yeah, Haymarket was great, and so I was always surrounded by um, motorsport, and a lot of my friends were, you know, like you know Mark Hines, Christian Colby, Cacaldi, Dumbreck, you know, Darren Turner. All those we were all sort of mates because you know we met through that world. And um, but no one would have assumed that I'd have gone into cars. So it was literally in 2010 where I was invited to come and do the celebrity. Uh, so, yeah, obviously loosely termed, and obviously <laughs> they'd run out of celebrities because they'd invited me. Oh, you know, no. so, um, uh, the celebrity challenge at the Silverstone Classic in the theatre baths. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, uh, and Neil was there from Travis, who is a great peddler, as we know. You know. But I wasn't too much worried about the rest. So I qualified it on pole with Neil next to me and we traded paint a bit. And um, but I went off and won it. And um, and that sort of went, hang on a second. And, you know, by, by a little bit of a margin as well, you know. So I suddenly thought, you know, maybe there's something in this. Yeah. And, but then it was still the financial thing. You know, how am I going to how am I going to find any money to go and do this? And it's, Rick, it's the, 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 on the financial thing, I think a lot of people that are listening are probably thinking, well, hang on a minute. His dad is one of the greatest rock and roll stars of that generation. You know, surely there was money flying about. So, so presumably, he he didn't bankroll your career. He was very much like you're on your own. You know, go out and make go out and make it happen. Yeah, he he's always been like that. Um, that was never really uh, that sort of a dad in a way. You know, and I didn't see him for ten years. Don't forget as well. Between what we were discussing and then, I didn't right. actually see him for ten years. I was with my mom, and we had literally nothing. You know, oh, okay, so didn't know. That. I wasn't I wasn't a kid that, you know, was like you know uh, every tenor meant something. You know, and I was, but the, the juxtaposition was I was at this school where a lot of the kids were from wealthy families and they didn't have the worries that we had. And, you know, they'd be picked up in their limos and drivers and whatever. And my mum would potter in in a Ford Orion, you know. And um, and so I didn't really feel part of that because I wouldn't go out to the King's Road. I wouldn't go to the pub. And also I was recovering from my Crohn's yeah. in those days as well. I suffered Crohn's. So I was very, very thin and very, very self conscious. And, um, and, you know, I wouldn't go to the parties or anything like that because all the symptoms and everything that comes with Crohn's is really, is really debilitating. So, you know, and embarrassing. And so I I couldn't do all that world. Um, but yeah, so when dad came back into my life, you know, and we, we got on like a house on fire, we became very good friends, but he was never like that. There was never any money to go and do this. In fact, he was really against me going into music as well. And, you know, so I've had to always fight very, very hard to find the money. And but the first break I was given was by um, Lawrence Tomlinson um, from Ginetta, who 
Um, we, were, we were actually weird enough at my birthday party in London, and uh, I think um, alcohol played quite a, a major point in it um, because he just went, happy birthday, Path. And um, I said, what? He said, right, well, I'm going to put you in a car next year. So he, he said, just bring some money for crashing. You know, and I was like, oh, I don't need any money for that. <gasps> oh, my God. You know, and um, so... I think, you know, he saw it as a bit of a PR thing for Ginetta in those days because it was early days. And um, so, yeah, I, I I sort of got in and, you know, I think people underestimated me a little bit, just this rock stars kid, you know, coming in. And mm. so, and then obviously I started to do very well. I think on my second ever race in the wet, the old karting head came on and I passed everyone from the back of the grid, passed everyone into and got into the front of like some mega drivers in GT5, you know, but I've never led a race. And all of a sudden, I'm at the front, like chasing's fine, right? You know, and uh, I was throwing it around and proper old karting. I used to love the wet, and um, and I'm at front. And I was like, oh, what, what do I do now? You know, and I literally, my glass was still going like this. I was steaming up, going, I don't know what to do now. And I totally lost my cool, and uh, and promptly spun, oh, you know, no. and I lost it. And I remember Lawrence came up to me, and he went, he went, you know, path. He went, that was the best race I've ever seen up until you spun and I was just like yeah but I had no one to chase I didn't know what to do so um but after that you know I I went right okay I've got to give this a proper shot so I was sponsored by a few friends you know beg borrowed stole as you do well not stole obviously and um and uh yeah I did a season in um a proper season even though I had to sit out two rounds because of gigging um but um yeah I got two lap records and and you know was regularly on the podium and that led to the going to GT4 the following year yeah, well, you say you've you, you know you've had to fight for it really your whole life for this career, but in doing so, you you kind of become a bit of a, a, a GT legend, really. So, <laughs> as, as, Tim, as Tim likes to coin it, I don't but... know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those for those who can't see, Rick is sat in front of all of his gigantic Actually, trophies. I'm not, there's some over there. <laughs> not I mean, even I mean, all of them. Yeah. You know, let's just let's not let's not you know nitpick. No, no. I mean, they they don't fit in the frame, frankly. So uh, you know, you, 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 you've got to spread them. Around. I mean, we were joking before we started recording that uh, again for those not listening. So to to uh, as Rick sits to the right of him, there's a whole gaggle of of trophies and a couple of model cars. To his left is what looks very much like a marijuana plant. So you know, we, we we've nailed this rock and roll racer thing. Yeah, it's decorative. Decorative, it only. Yeah. decorative only. Decorative yeah. only. Well, the. the tro- Use. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, well, we'll move on from that. The, not, uh, can just, we just clarify that is not marijuana plant? Right? Just say I know no, what kids. Going out, people thinking that to all the PR and the communications people listening, <laughs> no. it's not. It's no. not. It's not. It's not even real. No. No. <laughs> let's, let's not destroy his British touring car dream before it's begun. Yeah. No, can you imagine the first time I turn up? There's going to be testers there. Water straight away. Oh, <laughs> Oh dear! Well, it's going immensely slow, yeah. <laughs> but he's having a great time. Yeah, yeah. Are we out the pits yet? <laughs> well, hopefully you will make it to to the BTCC paddock. I'm sure you will. Uh, you've to make it there though. You've done well Ugh. in the GT category, I'll say. Yeah. In uh, in British GTs, obviously joined in 2011. You've been racing since then. It didn't take you long, really, to become champion winning the gt4 title debut year in class in 2013 how did that feel because i suppose you've had success already in the build-up you know you've got something there but i suppose was this the first proper 
I hate saying proper win, but you know, a big championship, you're fighting yeah. alongside professional drivers who've done it for years. That must have been quite an immense feeling. Uh, I can't tell you what it was like. You know, this is all plays into the part of um, the whole Crohn's thing where mm. you you have, whilst everyone thinks that I'm immensely confident and, you know, and like, hey, it's no, nothing's an issue. Crohn's makes you very uh, insecure and, and hits you mentally, you know, and you carry all those scars through your life because it's like with any disability, you know, and um, motorsport brought me back to life. So this, to get into a car like that, a GT4, you know, 300 horsepower, a proper race car, and then to win and actually be a champion and be recognised for it, it was, it was mind-blowing, genuinely mind-blowing. And I just couldn't believe it. It was an amazing moment. And also it silenced a lot of the doubters straight away, yeah. you know, and, um, uh, and sort of really marked a sort of a turning point, you know, that people took me seriously from then on. And, um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing moment. And Ryan was great as well. My teammate, you know, we, we were, you know, we're still, we're very good mates now. And, um, we chat a lot anyway. And, um, it was just a great year. It just felt like we were against the world, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so to have done that, it was it was mind blowing, and to have Dad at Donny as well, when when we actually crossed the line and won, there's some really good pictures of it. You know, we're all sort of jumping around, going champions and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, did, it was amazing. It was what amazing. what did he say after seeing you win? Yeah, he's uh, he's and then see, no one realizes Dad was quite hard on me in a way. Like he would never compliment. Right, he'd never say the band was good. He'd never. I played him some music. It was it was almost like you see. This is the thing about rock stars as well is that they are still essentially kids as well, you know. And um, uh, because they've had this amazing life to a certain extent, and there's there's I think with dad there was a lot of um, you know almost one upmanship, you know. That if I said oh I've played there, yeah, well I've I've played there too, you know. I'm like well it's not a competition, you know. So there was that little sort of competition I think between us, and you know. So he he found it tough to admit. But, you know, in the later years, you know, he really recognised, he thought our band was absolutely amazing and he, he told me so, which was great, you know. And um, and also from from the car racing, I think he finally admitted that, you know, that I was probably slightly better than him, you know, so, um, uh, albeit sober, yeah. Yeah, so, um, uh, yeah no, I think, I think it, but he was never really, you know, overly... Yeah supportive or complimentary it's just not what his his thing but to other people apparently so so i'd always hear it third hand yeah so okay so so that was that was good yeah, yeah. so he was obviously very proud he just didn't understand yeah. quite how to express it directly to you which i think no, is, I mean, is yeah, the way a lot of parents are you know I, I, it's, yeah, exactly it, it, yeah everyone has parent issues yeah, yeah but i mean it's you know it's it's it, it's not uncommon, is it, for for parents to struggle to to say that they're proud of their children as much as it is for children to say they're proud of their parents. And I, I think we've talked yeah. about it on here before. When you know, I, I'm I'm terrible at saying I love you to my parents. I'm just totally useless. And we, you know, we barely hug. You know, let alone outside of um, COVID times. I'm terrible at you know hugging them and mm. and showing I care, which is, which is awful. But anyway, that's for another another, another podcast, podcast where we lie down on a couch. That's for that's for Tim's therapy session. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but while we're on um, a, a sort of serious subject, let, let's talk Crohn's before we go any further. You, you've this is this is a serious thing, and you've suffered terribly um, with Crohn's over the years. And I think you even had an operation. Like, was it last year or year before? Yeah, perhaps? I'm up to nearly thirty ops now. Wow. In my life. So, and, um, so what, 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 
four really major ones. Yeah. Uh, exceptions, yeah. For those that aren't up to speed with it, what is Crohn's disease? Uh, it's essentially like an infection of the intestine. And what it does is it hacks away at the intestinal wall, it perforates it. Then that causes fistulas and, and a severe infection. It all gets... It's all really nasty and it gets all inflamed and then closes and literally blocks and dies. And the only way to get rid of it when it's at that stage is to chop it out. You know, there is no other way. And um, it's, but what people don't realize is it's pain every single day. You know, you can't absorb, so you have chronic fatigue. You have to go to the loo, but you you don't have time to think about it. You know, it can take you just like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you struggle to eat, you struggle to maintain a job because the pain is so bad, you know, and when the waves come, when you're in a flare up, it's it's just horrific because you just wait and you feel you feel sick anyway. And then suddenly the waves come and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and you're tensing going, it's just tensing against it. And then it goes to this crest and you're like to the point where you can't even bear it anymore. And then it just goes off like that and you just feel like being sick. And then it comes again and you can have that for days and weeks. And it's just absolutely, it, it's it's a horrific little thing. Is, is, there, but, uh, is there an awareness issue with Crohn's? Because, I, I mean, it's not, I couldn't, I've heard of it, obviously, but I couldn't have told you what you've just said. I couldn't explain what it meant to have Crohn's. Is, is there enough awareness about this disease? Is that part of your sort of remit now that you feel like you need to raise awareness of things like this? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm an ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis UK and, um, uh, with a couple of other really cool people. And, um, uh, but the awareness now is much better than it used to be people because it's seemingly an invisible illness. This is also the problem, right? So bosses at work can't understand it. You know, they can't understand why someone's going to the loo 20 times a day. They can't understand why they're, they're absolutely just cannot cannot function, you know, why they're taking sick days. You know, they can't. So there is a bigger issue with this, you know, and also from the kids side of it, you know, like when I had it and you go through right through way through your teens, you know, and you're you're insecure. This is where you're forming your character, you know. So whatever happens in those days where you should be setting the world alight and in your early 20s you know you should be right this is what my ambition is going to be this is what i want to do and yet you're in hospital ripped up at five and a half stone you know and you think is this my life you know and um so it's um it's definitely getting much more awareness now people are aware of it better than before so that's a good thing yeah. so the, but, but it's like with a lot of invisible illnesses um uh you know uh people just need to understand a little bit and what's nice is you know obviously i have to the looks i get sometimes when i run to the the disabled loons you know and stuff like that because i have to and i'm allowed to because of crohn's obviously i've got virtually no gut left and um but the looks i get when i come out is sometimes it's awful you know people just you can hear them making comments Mm. and so what there's been a big change as well on a lot of loons now um they say not all disabilities are visible which is great. And that is a direct result of awareness of illnesses like mine. So that, you know, things like that. So yeah, we're getting there. But, um, but it's, you know, I, I, there's so many illnesses and everyone has their cross to bear. So I'm definitely not saying woe is me. I feel very lucky. I've been able to create a life in, in two things that I absolutely adore doing. Thanks to, you know, I've got a good team around me, particularly my wife, who is amazing and just puts up with all of this. In fact, to her, it doesn't mean anything. She's, it's just me, yep. you know, and for that, that's why I knew that she was the one for me because she didn't give a monkeys about 
my dad or yeah. my history or this, or I didn't have to put on this show to be someone special, you know, she's just a wonderful person. And um, so um, that was it. And to have her, you know, when I'm really struggling is just a wonderful thing. And I, I feel very, very lucky. So from to be able to have this platform and the motorsport and to show that you can still and to go out on stage in front of thousands of people, you know, I can still prove that, like, to people, if it helps a few people go, look, you know what, you can do it. If you want to do X or Y, just come on, let's do it. Yeah. And I and I, I communicate with a lot of people. I get a lot of messages from other sufferers. And, you know, so I will always take time to, to talk to them. That's, you know? that's so good. And and we'll certainly do our bit to, to push that message out through these oh, podcasts when they're released and snippets and so on. And and, and if anyone is listening that, that um, happens to suffer from Crohn's, then get in touch with us or you know, get in touch like with, with Rick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So sorry. Anyway, we we, we digress. No, no again. it's it, it's it's important, and you know we we do a lot of this sort of stuff um, around purpose, you know, and we, we're we're partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, so we do a lot with them, and um, we've got you know plenty of uh, very personal stories about it, as, as Harry well knows, because you know he his family have been affected by it. So you know anything that can can help using a platform, and you know if we can help with our little bit of the motorsport um, world to raise awareness of things like this, then then we'll do it so um we'll, we'll certainly push uh, push the messaging out um let, let's go back to racing so um you moved up to gt3 you graduated yep. you became a champion again in 2017 <laughs> uh, with yep. uh, team parker in in that beautiful bentley so think, yeah. things are going pretty well at that point. Everything's looking yeah, pretty, pretty hunky dory. No, he's got it there. Yeah, yeah that one. It's a beast, isn't it? It's a, it's an yeah. awesome looking car and very dominant. Uh, th- that must have been pretty cool. Graduating up to that level of competition and winning again. It was. I mean, to get the call. I mean, in 2016 was was wicked, you know. And um, off Team Parker and I've always wanted to race with Parkers anyway because Stuart is a good mate of mine. And he said we've got this kid and he's really quick, you know, called Seb, and. Um, and uh, so we met up and we immediately got on. It was like I was his sort of older brother, you know. That, <laughs> and the strange thing is, you know, he's, he's a, he was te- this terribly, annoyingly good-looking yeah. chap with a with bit rock and roll, you know, as well. And, and uh, you know, the girls just fell over in front of him. So I, I knew I had to just focus him a little bit, you know, just, just keep his, his eyes off. And you know what? We, and, and, of course, the other thing was the, the, the Bentley had had a troubled sort of a GT3 launch to, to a certain extent. It hadn't exactly set the world alight. So no one really rated it um, or thought that we would be challengers, you know. And so when we turned up at Brands Hatch in 2016 and I stuck it on pole and then Seb stuck it on pole and then so aggregate, we were on pole and we gave Bentley their first ever domestic GT pole. It was an amazing moment. I mean, honestly, there were tears in our eyes, you know, and, there's, there's videos online, you know, it, it was just amazing, an amazing moment. And then we were robbed in the race, right? So we, um, I stormed off at the beginning and we had, I think, over a 15 seconds lead. I was an absolute, absolute, um, in such a rhythm. And I was just going, we've done it, we've won it. And then there was a crash and they put this enforced yellow that they use in um, like artificial. So everyone had to press the button, you know, and apparently it neutralizes the race. But no one adhered to it except for us. So my 15 seconds was gone, you know, with everyone piling up behind me. And I'm like, how has that worked? Weirdly enough, it's never been in British GT since that day. So, you know, that's the way it is. But um, 
uh, still ended up finishing third, I think, or something like that, you know, because we got jumped in the pits. Anyway, so, um, yeah, to do that was great. And then we gave its, its first ever win at Alton, which was amazing. And, um, and then we finished third in the first year, but people knew that we were perhaps a force once we'd ironed out the little rough edges. And then in 2017, we were hyper, hyper focused and we knew what the strengths of the, the car were. We knew that it was better on long runs. It was good on its tires. And we, we knew that we would struggle to ever win the sprint races because the Lambos and everything yeah. just had better traction and they were just great off the mark. But we knew that they used their tires more than us. So we, we really hyper focused on trying to maximize the long distance races, you know, to our benefit and um, because they're points and a half. So that would, put, you know, so it was a real strategy to try and um, win a championship through thought process as opposed to just winning everything, mm. you know, and um, so, yeah, that was an emotional year. I just lost dad, you know, and um, uh, so I was being hounded by the press, you know, when just before at Spa, you know, <clears throat> um, I was phoned up by the press and telling me, do you know how little money your father had and stuff like this, literally just before I was getting in the car. And I was, it was mentally so tough. Luckily, Rach was keeping me very grounded and Stuart I was just like, what is going on? And I was really, it really hurt me. All the stuff that was going on, the stuff that was being said in the press from other quote members and all this sort of stuff, it really hurt. And even my mum did a story, which is just atrocious. And, you know, it was a really tough time. You know, I've always tried to maintain my dignity and not say anything and just not do it. And that, to this day, that's not what I have. I haven't gone out to the press and said anything. And um, because I just wanted... I like my life as it is. And so um, Stuart was great. He said, listen, he just said, look, don't worry about anything. Don't talk to anyone. Just go between car and truck, you know, and said, and we will sort everything else out. And so he was, he was, he's an amazing teammate, uh, team uh, boss, you know, and, um, and friend on that year. And uh, yeah, somehow we, we pulled it out of the bag and it was, that was, there's some pictures of me just going like that, you know, and I was like, that one's for you, mate. And um, it was, uh, it was a great year. And, brilliant to have delivered you know Bentley their first ever yeah. domestic title and um and you know no one can take that away from me so mm -hmm. you know that's that's um yeah actually this one here this is um Bentley am driver of the year actually weirdly enough there you go so uh, um which I was two years on the trot as well so yeah it was it's really cool and so I'm really proud of that era that we had and um but yeah, it's time to move on. Yeah. But can I just ask though, on, on the subject of trophies, what is that absolutely gigantic one in the middle? This one? Yeah. Uh, that is the overall driver's championship GT3. Nice. Um, um, which we, I've got two of those actually, because there's, I was pro-am champion and overall champion, but there's an even bigger one here. Oh, wow. I was out, it's out of shot. That's why. Don't be careful. Oh my God. It really is. That's like the champions league. <laughs> yeah. So, and that, that, oddly enough, is GT4. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. So, oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, so there you go. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, Devante Tyres. Actually, I'm not going to say anything. I'll leave it to six-time Olympic cycling champion and racing driver, Sir Chris Hoy. Whether in my cycling or motorsport career, I'm always looking for that winning edge. The difference between ordinary and extraordinary. I'm Chris Hoy and I choose Pro Tura Sport, the new ultra high performance tyre from Devante. Racing is such a, obviously quite a highly complex career. You've got to be focused yeah. on your, as you say, you weren't going to win sprint races. You weren't going to get things yeah. on outright pace. So you were yeah. really having to dissect how you were going yeah, to, to, to beat people on track. So I suppose that must have been a huge help for you to have that focus. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, I was, 
I remember on that year, you know, I was just saying to Seb, we cannot make mistakes. You know, we need to just tank points every single time. And mm. we've got to think, if we're in fourth, we have a chance for third, but it's also a chance where we know he's going to close the door on us and risk those points. We need to tank points every round because British GT is super competitive and it is super tight. And if you lose one round's points, you can pretty much write your championship mm. off for the main part, you know? Right. And um, so we were hyper-focused on trying to maximise every point from every single round, you know, and where where the car wasn't great, do the best we can, you know, and where the car was great, make sure we nailed it, you know, mm. and so it was, um, yeah, a really good year from that, from that, from that level, yeah, and and I, and I guess, to be honest, that is how you win championships, you know, you don't, you don't just win Consistency. without outright speed, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. Just, you know, quick, yeah. I've always tried to be a little bit more of a thinker than, an outright speed person, you know, yeah. and um, because it, it tends to pay benefits in the long run. And, and now, obviously, things are about to get very interesting in your racing <laughs> career because, yeah. um, you know, like you say, it's time for something new and you're going into the most competitive um, championship in the UK. Um, yeah. British Touring Car Championship, really exciting, taking the wheel of the Accelerate, with the number eight in the in the name, clever uh, motorsport. Uh, it's a Hyundai, Hyundai, right? I thirty N fastback yeah. um, alongside some quality quality drivers and the likes of Ingram yeah. and Smiley. How did this opportunity come about? And um, is there? It's got to be a little bit of nerves there, isn't there? This is big. Oh yeah, massive. Well, the opportunity came about is that um, I knew that. You know, from a sponsorship perspective as well, you know, that BTCC is a great platform, you know, and um, uh, I've always, listen, I've always been a massive fan of it, you know, from the days when I was working on, on the magazines, you know, and, um, you know, I, I watched, you know, Matt Neal win the independence title and got given that check for a quarter of a million quid from Gao and stuff. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. Someone's beaten all the factory teams. You know, so, you know, I've always had that love for the series um yet again it's another unachievable dream because the money to get into it is huge yeah. i mean it's more than british gt so you know um it was always something that i never thought i'd be able to do um yet when i got better and given the whole world covid situation and the fact that music has been cancelled and that i'm not gigging at the moment or haven't in over a year which is just nuts you know mm. um but it meant that I've got, I had time to commit to something as crazy as BTCC, although it does look now the second half of the year, fingers crossed, I'll be back on stages again. Um, in fact, we've just confirmed um, uh, the first festival announcement is we're playing Marlowe in September on Pub in the Park, Tom Kerridge's Pub in the Park. Oh, amazing. Supporting yeah. Ronan Keating. So that'll be fun. Oh. Um, so that's come out, a good little plug there. Yeah, well done. Um, yeah. And, um, but uh, yeah, so it, it just meant that I had time and I had a bit of focus and, also, as with most musicians and probably a lot of people, I lost my sense of purpose, I think, you know, once the gigging stopped because you go, well, what am I going to do? You know, I can't just hang around for ages, you know, and when is this going to end? So um, my two, I, I, I gave myself sort of two focuses, which is one to write an album, which is now pretty much done. Uh, the writing's done and we're producing it up and hopefully we'll have something out in the summer with that, which is great. And um, I've surprised myself with that as well, to be honest, because I haven't written in years, you know, because you never have time. So it was great. Just every morning you get your cup of tea and you go down to the studio and 
think, okay, right, you know, you listen to some things which to give you a little bit of inspiration, you think, oh, I want to go sort of that route, and then you just go for it, and you write, and so, yeah, I'm 15 songs in, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's just great, and um, so there's that, and then also, the other side was, you know, let's do this, let's, let's try and get into BTCC, you know, I reckon we can do it. To be honest, it was a really close-run thing, because whilst we had loads of people who were interested, because boards of directors are all on furlough or whatever, the decisions couldn't be made. And I think a lot of people have suffered from that, like yeah. where people go, yeah, we'd love to, but we can't, we can't get it across the line because the staff aren't in. We can't, and also, or they've made people redundant, which means absolutely the last thing you could be doing is sponsoring a race car. So there's a very finite amount of people who can still justify, you know, this is a marketing tool. So um, it was, it was a close run thing. Um, and I was talking to power max for a lot of time because I know I've known Plato for years as well. And, you know, we thought that that would be the dream team, you know, me and Plato. <laughs> you know, Path and Plato would have been hilarious. Quite frankly, it would have been hilarious. I mean, <laughs> quite frankly, if we'd have got any work done, it would have been incredible, <laughs> right? Um, so, but this was quite a lot of money as well. And weirdly, then I got a call from Tom Ingram, who said, look, one of your sponsors actually owns one of the companies that I'm sponsored by. And he said, I reckon there's actually a deal to be done to bring both across. And so it, it, it turned out that the, I went and I spoke to Justine and they, they, they were great and they were really, they really pushed the boat out to try and get me into the team as well on a deal front. And um, so that's how the deal came across. And it, it just turned out the fact that I wouldn't have had enough money to have gone to PMR, but I did have enough if I went to Accelerate. So it was circumstance. However, saying that, having and, and PMR were just so gracious about it Adam and Simon were just great I mean they really are gentlemen so that was really nice of them you know because I was very honest I said look I just don't have the money to run with you I thought I did but it's not happening yeah and um, so obviously that's where I'm accelerate however having now spent quite a lot of time chatting to Justina and and them um, you know and all and Anthony at accelerate you know they're a really ambitious team as is shown you know they've merged with trade price racing mm. with Dan you know, I'm getting a brand new car built, which I said is a bit of a waste in my first year. <laughs> Seriously, give me the old one, because let's be honest, it's just going to end up in a wall. Right? You know? So, <laughs> you know, but I'm getting a brand new car. It's amazing. Um, uh, and so um, it won't be it won't be new for long, obviously, being BTCC. But um, no, so, that is exciting. Where, where, with a brand new car, where and I suppose you know, a, a, a not a brand new team, but a new a new journey for the teams as well. W what can you realistically sort of set yourself? What, what where do you see yourself in the pack? Have you got a, a big goal that you want to achieve come the end of the year? Yeah, I've said to all the the fans, I've had an amazing response from the fans. You know, there's already a little group started called the Path Army, which is amazing. We're in. We're in. <laughs> And, um, and, you know, so there's apparently going to be banners. And I said, basically, I, I want never before in the history of uh, BTCC has mediocrity been celebrated <laughs> so much, right? You know, so, you know, um, I, every time I finish a strong 23rd, you know, um, I want everyone to give that signal. And, yes. oh, me. You know, so um, uh, my, my goal is to show in all seriousness, you know, I joke, but I am actually quite serious about that. I'm not setting myself any expectations because I, I'm, this is everything I don't know, okay? It's front-wheel drive. It's circuits I don't know. It's lack of downforce. It's much less power. It's shifting. It's sprint racing. It's everything I don't know. I have so much to learn in a short space of time. 
So I think at the beginning, and to go to Thruxton as your first round yeah. is quite daunting, to be honest. Let's let's be honest, in a front-wheel drive car, which I and I don't know Thruxton either. So I don't know half the circus. I don't know Thruxton. I don't know Croft. Um, I don't know Knock Hill. Um, I've never driven Brands Indy, but I've obviously driven the Grand Prix circuit a lot, so that shouldn't be too bad. Silverstone National, never driven that, So uh, it's but it's one turn that's different from everything else, so I'll get used to that. That's fine. So I have a massive learning process, and I've set myself a goal if I start at the back, just to work my way forwards. And if I can show that I've got clear progression, you know, in times and in competitiveness on the way forward, and if I can work my way into the top 15 um, by mid to end of season, you know, or get a couple of results in there, I think I would have done really well because, yeah. you know, you look at the names and the drivers are in the series. I mean, they're amazing. And they've been doing it for years. Mm. everyone gets beaten up in their first year and everyone will want to beat me up. I've got a massive target on my back. You know, who do you think you are? This two-time champion, yeah. you know, and all that. I get that, right? And um, so I am very aware. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be right in the mix from the start, you know, because the likelihood is I won't. But what I can guarantee is I will put on a damn good show for everyone yeah. and my elbows are well sharpened. <laughs> and um, yeah. So um, it's it's almost back to the karting days, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. You've got to yeah. get stuck in. You've got to get stuck in and um, door to door and, racing. And just, yeah, and just, just, awesome. just got to learn it. Learn it all. Learn what the other drivers are like. Learn who, how their characteristics are. Because in GTs, you get to know the other drivers. You know when they'll give you room, and you know when they won't. You know. And so I'm going up against a whole bunch of people who a lot of them are friends. Actually, I know a lot of the people on the grid. But you know, racing's racing. So yeah, um, yeah, we'll start at the back and uh, see where you go. At I mean, the bottom now. I'm here. You know, that's I mean, it's <laughs> it's going to be tough, isn't it? I mean, there's there's there are yeah. some legends on that grid. You yeah. know, you, you, yeah. Plato. You know, Matt yeah. Neal, um, Shedden. Yeah. I mean, some of the yeah. names you're going up against are, are hardcore, and they're not going to give you an inch. You know, the likes of Matt yeah. Neal isn't going to. Yeah. He is not going to care. You know yeah. who you are. He's gonna he's gonna try and fight his way through. Just don't follow his lead and, and do silly tweets. I don't know if you saw his tweet, which just caused major <sighs> problems. When he, he I think it was after it was either a football match or a rugby match, and he tweeted something about not wanting to listen to female commentators. And um, it was literally like you know I just don't I, I I don't have any problem with them. I just don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna listen to a female commentator for eighty or ninety minutes. And yeah, Twitter just turned on him immediately. And you just think, what are you thinking? You know, you are you're a role model to so many people out there. And you've just single handedly turned off a load of female followers. Like, what are you what are you playing at? It's uh, funny though, isn't it? Twitter is is such a vitriolic oh, place big time. Um, over everything, and and it's just it polarizes. That what 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 social media in general, I just think polarizes. You can't ever be. You have to be one or the other. Yeah. You know and. There's never a middle ground, I don't think. And it's a, it's a, it's sad, really, because, you know, good things don't happen and bad things don't happen. And, you know, basically, it's just, it's yeah. It's a dangerous place. I I, know, I, I didn't know about that, um, but I've known Matt for years. And so, you know, I, I, and he seems like a, an absolute, I've only known him to be a lovely chap, so. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, you yeah, know, people say things on, on Twitter sometimes that perhaps they wouldn't say in real life and it's just a classic occasion where just you just put it this way I'm pleased my dad didn't have Twitter oh it'd be a chaos can you imagine <laughs> the absolute chaos I think, I think I do think some people just tweet to just to provoke people yeah, just to get that yeah and there is that there yeah. is that as well you know so there's all these nuances isn't there with social media and of course the great thing is it's just in text so you can never see whether it's you can't get the tone right you don't know what their tone is tone. Yeah. so I, I think it's it's 
you know, I, my, my dad always used to say, steer clear of politics and religion in yeah. any mm. interview. <laughs> yes. Um, so on that, so are you religious much? Or, um... <laughs> no, we're not going there. Don't worry. I do want to know, though. I do want to know music and motorsport, two quite different things. I'm sure there's a lot of crossover and similarity, but how do you balance both? Do you find it difficult at times? Yeah, there's no, there's no balance. Um, yeah. It's just full on all the time and um which is so which has been nice about this lockdown for the first time mm. in years you know i just got time to spend with rach you know we woke up on a weekend and i'm not away gigging and we just go for walks and do do all the nice things that you want to do with your family right you know and um so that's been mega you know it's been really lovely but it's already the stress is creeping back up yeah. again because mm. dates are coming in the whole btcc thing is quite there's so much to do, you know, and, um, uh, you know, making sponsors happy, putting the, uh, the, the social media campaign in right for them and meeting all of their goals and targets. And all of a sudden, all these things, and then dealing with other people to, for, for gigs and riders and contracts and all this sort of stuff. And so she's, she's starting to, you know, get swamped again. And um, uh, so there isn't really a balance, unfortunately. It's just, you know, flat out all, all the time. Um, yeah, and but I approach both with the same attitude. Like, mm. if anyone's seen my band, you know, when we go on stage, um, I'm I, I, my band are super rehearsed. You know, it might look loose and rock and roll, but the fact is, we are such a well-oiled machine. You know, and I've got some of the best session players in the UK. So, you know, my my keyboard player has played with you know Lily Allen and um, and uh, and oh, he was in Wheatus originally. Oh, and, wow. Wheatus, uh, yeah, maybe. And I always play with countless other people. It's brilliant. And um, and Amy McDonald and and my drummer plays with Blinda Carlisle and Bonnie Tyler. And my <laughs> guitarist is with ELO. So it's a, it's a, it's a, a seriously good band. And um, and uh, but I don't let anyone sort of rest on their laurels. We we are as good as we can be. And there's a and I, I include myself in that. If I haven't done my best, I'll beat myself up. Mm. And so you know. Um, Every gig is our motto is every gig is if it's your last. Doesn't matter, big or small, does not matter. We will come on and give you the, the same amount of effort and show, which is 110%. It's exactly the same with motorsport. You know, if I finish last and I go, I've done the best I could possibly have done, then I'll be happy. But if I finish first and I know I left something on the table, I'll still be unhappy. I know, mad, isn't it? But, you know, it, it's a real sort of absolutely OCD attention to detail. I have to do the best I possibly can. And so, if anything goes wrong, you know, rest assured, whoever's watching, rest assured, I'll be beating myself up more than you need to beat me up. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you um, if you had to choose music oh. or motorsport, which one would you take? What would you keep? Hmm. Difficult though, isn't it? Because there's a similar vibe. You're still performing on both both levels. Do I have to choose one? You have to pick one. Okay. Um, well, there are both amazing highs. Purely from the difficulty and the stress it takes to raise the money to go racing, I would probably then choose music because that's the destiny is in my hands yeah. rather than other people's hands. And it's only for that reason that I would choose music. And, and there is nothing greater than um, going on stage to a crowd who don't know who you are, flipping them, yeah. and at the end everyone's chanting and you're going off, you know, you're walking off stage to everyone chanting for you to come back on. Yeah. Um, it, it's, that is an amazing moment, you know, and I've been very lucky to do that. And, um, 
I, I remember, you know, we've we, we headline quite a few sort of mid-sized festivals now, which is mad, over names, because people find it difficult to follow us because we've got the luxury of being able to play whatever we want, you know, uh, not the song, but just songs. <laughs> and um, although we could do, you know, um, but um, so my set, I call it setless science, you know, it's all, it's all, we're not just there to play our songs. So what our job is very different from other bands. Our job is to entertain the crowds. The crowd are the sick member of our band. They just don't know it yet, you know? So our show is very energetic. It's right in your face. And what we do is just pull everyone in. We want everyone to be singing along, have their hands up in the air. And what you do with that is how you heighten the payoffs into certain songs, you know, where they go, what's coming? Is, no way, you know? So it's, it's all a clever way of energy response and how you do that. So you don't just play song after song. You think how you can introduce it. And also it means that we can get away with a lot heavier stuff, which normally people wouldn't do in corporate world because I've always believed it's just how you bring it to them or how you present it to them. So we're playing Metallica and Nirvana and stuff like that at corporate dues and they're all going nuts. You know, you've got granny in the background like you know, and, and it's great because if you do it with a smile and friendly and how you bring them in and, and make them feel part of something and included then then it works you know and that's and that's kind of what we do and so for that reason i would i would say music because yeah. there are more highs in music i would say than there are in motorsport in yeah. motorsport the old adage of 95 percent frustration five percent elation yeah is probably the truest thing that anyone said right uh, yeah absolutely um, now you've you've been in the game for a while now. Um, you know you're knocking on yeah. Rick. Let's be honest. Come on, yeah, um, massively. Yeah, <laughs> we've got um, a lot of young people that listen to the show. Um, you've created. You know, you've not had the financial support. You've had to create your own opportunities in life. What what advice could you give to those who are just starting out on their career and and thinking? You know, I've got a dream. I don't know how to get into. It. I don't know how to pursue. It. What what would you say to them to make sure that they get a, a leg up? Um, it's like with everything, there's always going to be a lot of knockbacks, you know, don't be disheartened. It's like, if you're passionate enough about it, like karting was everything to me. I was the most boring kid ever. My dad was like, can you stop talking about karting? You know, friends and family were like, can you stop talking about karting? It was all I talked about. I used to sort of go, I must go to sleep because I'm driving to four hours down to clay pigeon in the, in the absolute pouring rain at 6am tomorrow. Yay! You know, it's that sort of passion. If you are truly passionate about motorsport or karting, you will make it happen. And if it means knocking on a thousand doors, you only need one person to say, yeah, I will support you, you know, but you've got to knock on all of those doors to make that one person do that. If you knock on a few and they all say no, and you give up, it's too easy to give up too easy to give up you know you've got to keep pushing because if you have self-belief that you're good enough and you can do this that's half the battle because you will convince people if people see the passion burning in your eyes and the the real sheer want and determination people will buy into that you know and you don't need to spend huge amounts to get going you know you can go to your local cart circuit, you know, you can just keep keep pushing. You'll get seen. I got spotted, you know. I, I ran one season as my own team and then I, I had a, a drive where I didn't have to pay in karting for a long time, you know, which was great. And um, so just get yourself out there. It's the same with music as well. You've just got to keep plugging away, you know, and create your own little legend. And if you are good enough, cream will always rise to the top. But, you know, 
but what I'd also say is, you know, if perhaps you're not, you still have a passion for the sport and maybe, you know, just maybe you're not winning everything, you know, um, there are so many other avenues to go as well. That doesn't mean you don't have to be within the sport, you know, and as I've always said with music, it's like everyone, every kid is focused on getting to F1, right? You know, and if you don't get to F1, that's it. There isn't. GT drives are great, you know? You could be a brilliantly paid pro in GTs, you know? You, there's there's a whole wealth of different different angles to go. You know, you can still be a factory driver, you know, in, in a different class. So never, don't think that F1 is the be all and end all. You know, there are so many other ways you can go, but also if you're still passionate about it and you, you still gain all the knowledge you could, and, but you're driving, perhaps you're not the next Lewis Hamilton. And maybe you've come to that realization. You can still be, there are still amazing jobs. You could start a team, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, look at um, Christian Horner, you know, yeah. you know, um, Absolutely. all these people are ex drivers, Eddie Jordan, ex driver, Christian Horner, ex driver, you know, um, Toto ex driver. They've all realized, okay, we're not going to set the world alight, <laughs> but we're good at this. You know, so find out what your strengths are and, you know, whether it is driving or whether it's just being part of the team and then just follow that route. Because what I've always said is if you are passionate about something in life, you will make it work, it, you know, whether it's music or motorsport or anything else that you're passionate about. So, you know, that would be my advice. Great, great advice. And I think one thing that, that stood out for me there that, that um, resonates and, you know, when I when I occasionally go on other podcasts and talk about careers and things like that, I think one thing you said there, which was um, create your own little legend, <clears throat> I think is quite an interesting point because you know one of the things that people I think struggle with who are very young and, and trying to make their way is is how do I get noticed? You know, and if you if you make yourself a little legend in whatever it is that you're you're focusing on, you know, and that make that your absolute passion and goal until you create you know an aura around you that gets noticed and amplified, then um, you're going to get noticed and picked up and pushed on to the next thing so a lot of that um, will resonate with with people so thank you for that excellent um rick we have three um final questions which we ask all of our guests um and uh harry why don't you kick off with number one yes rick what has got you excited at this very moment <laughs> probably the prospect of a cup of tea after this Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, as you said i'm getting old right you know I'm happy for small mercies. Things like a nice, nice cup of tea. My dad would be Ooh. so angry with me right now. <laughs> That's not very rock and roll. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, and, and okay, let's give a, a proper answer. Um, I'm excited about everything to do with BTCC, getting into a new paddock, meeting new people, new team, new engineer, um, and a completely new opportunity. It's exciting. I do feel like I've come to BTCC maybe 20 years too late because I'm 46 as opposed to 22. You know, my my sort of, Fear levels are probably not are probably more heightened now than they were when I was 22. Um, uh, and also, I'm excited about getting back on stages with the band this year. I'm um, very excited because it's been too long, and I just can't wait to make people happy. Awesome. Yeah. Number two, um, if you weren't a racing driver and you weren't a musician, what on earth would you have done? Pilot. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. Fighter pilot like or, or commercial? Fighter <laughs> pilot. Top Gun, all the way. I've got the helmet. I seriously, I should go and get it. I've got the Maverick helmet. Yes. That's no. how deep I am. I cannot wait for Top Gun Two. It's been uh, delayed so long. It's gonna right? be amazing. I'll be sitting on my sofa with the helmet on. You know, trying to <laughs> yeah, pilot, fighter pilot. 
<laughs> that that is a brilliant answer. <laughs> um, okay, final question for you, though, Rick. What are you scared of? Uh, failure. Mm. Massively. Um, same with the band. I never want to fail. I, I don't want to fail. You know, I, I don't want to feel like I haven't done my best. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's it really. Yeah, I mean that that's a pretty good driver, isn't it, to uh, to make sure you succeed, having a, a fear of of not succeeding. Um, Rick, but, Parfait- but, but in but in in that sorry, just to, to say yeah. failure, but that doesn't mean finishing last is a failure. You know, it's about reaching what your expectations are. Yeah. If you can if you can reach your expectations and go beyond them, then you haven't failed. Yeah. Uh, fantastic answer and and um what a lovely um 58 minutes we've spent with you um this uh, it's been it's been brilliant to talk to you and and hear about your career your your father um which is you know we're going to obviously um interest a lot of people um your your thoughts for for young people and obviously your music and your hugely exciting british touring car career which is just getting going so we're I really, everyone's like really fit I've been seeing like Chelsea's doing like <laughs> yeah. running and stuff. I'm like, oh, oh you don't need to do that. You don't need to worry so, about that. Listen, I've downloaded the Couch to 5K app. <laughs> that's Attaboy. how, as, but that's as far as I've got, and I've had it for about a month now. Uh, so, yeah, you could do with maybe. I can't handle seeing all these other race drivers going, "Hey, really good workout this morning." Go for a quick run? <laughs> I'm like, oh. God. Uh, I think you'll you will win a lot of fans though like that. I think you yeah. will win a lot of support for that. Oh, I love it. Well, listen, all the best with it. We're gonna come and see you. I'm hopefully gonna be at Thruxton, so um I'll I'll come and knock on your hospitality unit and demand to be let in because uh, come, come uh, and see Par Force One. Uh, that's, that's I'm the there. I'm, nice. I'm so there. Uh, thank you guys. I'm off for a run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy your 5k. And uh Rick, thanks for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. Thanks, guys. See you later. Before you go, one final reminder to check out our sponsor, Devanti Tires. What drives you? The pursuit of excellence never ends. Enjoy the thrill of the chase with Protura Sport from Devanti Tires. Protura Sport is at one with the driver. Ask your Devanti dealer about Protura Sport today. Discover Protura Sport at devanti-tires.com slash Protura Sport. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.